Well, hey, good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing this morning? Can we just give a thank you for what God's doing this morning? Uh, if you're new or newish, my name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here at Zion. And I want to tell you, if this is your first time here, I'm so glad you're here. I'm also glad for the rest of you, too, that are regulars. But uh, specifically, I know how easy it is to be other places. And so it means a lot to us that you've chosen to be here with us this morning. Uh, if you're new to the area, maybe looking for a church to call home or visiting, uh, whatever reason, we hope you'll consider being a part of what God is doing here. Uh, if you're exploring faith in this Jesus stuff, I want you to know that it's okay to have questions and doubts and un uncertainties. Those are all welcome here. Uh, in fact, I want you to hear this. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. Amen? Doubt is a natural human response for a God that we cannot see. We see the effects of God, but we don't always see God. Actually, we can't see God. He's spirit. And so sometimes we have doubts. Some of you are here and maybe you got out of the habit of going to church and so you're kind of stepping back into church. And for whatever reason, if you're here, great. Some of you have been hurt by church. And maybe you're kind of dipping your toe back in the water. And, and if that's you, I want to say welcome home. It's great to have you here. And I also want you to hear this. If you fell out of habit, or maybe you walked away from church and you're coming back, I want you to know that God is so delighted that you're wanting to come and be with Him. And it means a lot to us as well. And, and uh, we know that sometimes church can be hard. Amen? Sometimes people can be hard. Uh, and so now we just want to seek what the Lord has. And so with that being said, uh, if you would like, I want to invite you to stand with me and join in this invitation for the Holy Spirit to speak and reveal what He has for you and for me this morning. So if you want to pray this with me, Holy Spirit, stir in me a passion for your presence. Give me your eyes and heart for the name and glory of Jesus. Speak through your word and reveal what in my life that I have not given to you, King Jesus. Help me to surrender what I want to control. Expose the lies I am believing for what they are, that I might live for you in Jesus' name. Amen. And our remain standing. Our Bible verse is 2 Corinthians eleven three 3 through 4. But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. The word of the Lord, praise be to God. You may be seated. Uh, over the last couple of months, I've made this statement a couple times, and I want you to hear it, especially if you're new to Zion or kind of checking things out. We don't preach sermons. We preach series. We preach a sermon, a bunch of sermon series that are all connected, which means that if you want to get the most out of something on a Sunday morning of what we're doing, uh, if you missed a teaching, I would encourage you go back online, whether the Zion app, Facebook, uh, YouTube, wherever it might be, and catch up. But that also being said, if you missed something, it's okay. Uh, if you've missed a series, you're not going to be left in the dark. You're not going to be not understanding. We try and preach in such a way that even if it's your first time or only time coming, that prayerfully the word of the Lord will speak to you. But really, we get the most by working through each of the messages. They all kind of come together to help us fully understand what God has and what his word has for us. Now, I say all of this because... We're starting this year of becoming, and here's the thing. Becoming takes time. It takes intentionality, and sometimes it's hard. Uh, a couple years ago, we launched the Zion podcast, and we took a break from it for the summer so we could kind of reevaluate it, and we've actually now brought back the Zion podcast, but it's a little bit different. 
Uh, let me give you kind of an illustration. When I was younger, I learned to throw a football, okay? So someone taught me how to throw a football. Well, most of us, when you become Christians, you kind of get the basics of Christianity. You get that you're supposed to love Jesus. You want to follow Jesus, become like Jesus. But the difference between a coach and someone who teaches you how to do something at first is a coach comes alongside of somebody who already knows how to throw a ball and helps them throw it better. Does that make sense? Right? If you ever played sports, the coach says, oh, move your elbow a little bit in when you throw. If you're throwing a football or something else, a coach is about those small tweaks. Well, our hope for the Zion podcast is a way to encourage you throughout the week to maybe give some coaching in your spiritual life. And so, yes, it'll be a little bit connected to the message, but really our desire is in the podcast, which is now 20 to 25 minutes. The goal is to encourage, to strengthen, to challenge, but more importantly, to give you a means throughout the week to kind of help you be a little bit more intentional in your faith. Think of those small adjustments that how many of you throughout the week sometimes forget you're supposed to love and follow Jesus? Am I the only one, right? That's a real easy thing to do. And I know that all of us, like anybody else here, scroll when you're bored. Well, why not utilize a great platform, well, an, an okay platform, but redeem it for what it is and using social media to encourage us throughout the week instead of making us envious for everybody else's coffee time. Um, we're starting a new series called Holy, Holy. And it's a play on words, but the idea of wholeness, W-H-O-L-E-N-E-S-S, is that God wants us to be holy, holy. And we're going to be looking at how and why God cares about your whole life. And, and I want you to hear this. This matters right here. All of your life, who you are, matters to Jesus. All of it, not just parts of it. I want to start by asking a question, and I have a feeling I already know where most of you are going to go because I know it's where I went. If I ask you this question, how's your spiritual life doing? How is your faith? Here's how most of us, including me, would answer this because it's kind of a natural reaction. Usually, if I were to ask somebody how their spiritual life is doing, immediately where they go is, well, am I praying? How many of you went to prayer, devotions, going to church? That's where your head went. That's a very human reaction. And what happens is we go, well, we think of spirituality in terms of, am I praying? Am I spending time in God's word? Am I going to church? Am I serving in church community? And, and here's the thing. I want you to know this. All of those things are spiritual things. In fact, our whole last series was about how we become who Jesus wants us to become through four incredible gifts. And these gifts are his word, the Bible, his spirit, the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us, his people, the church, and his ear, his presence through prayer. These are amazing gifts, and they are obviously spiritual and they matter. But without realizing it, it's easy to fall into a trap that Satan has set up for God's people for thousands of years. And this morning, we're going to talk about what that trap is, and you might not realize it, that maybe you fall into that trap. I know I have. So everybody real quickly say, trap number one. Here's trap number one. There is a spiritual category, and then there's an everything else category. Let me explain what I mean by this. See, when I asked how many of you, how's your spiritual life doing, if you went, how's my prayer life, how's my devotional life, am I going to church, am I serving, that's the, you have spiritual things, and then you have everything else things. How many of you went there naturally? Anybody besides me go there? No one? Wow, you're all way more spiritual than I am. The reason why we do that is that we've been conditioned to see spirituality 
as something that's connected to God that's usually connected to faith. And, and we can naturally create a separation between them if we're not careful, but there's an even greater risk that a lot of Christians fall into, and this is trap number two. Everybody say, trap number two. Trap number two is believing God only cares about the quote-unquote spiritual pile and not the everything else pile. That as if Jesus, when he looks at you, he goes, hey, as long as you're praying and reading your Bible and going to church, we're good. And, and when we think that, now all of a sudden we start thinking that God looks at this pile, the spiritual pile, and the one over here, he just kind of like, eh, no, I'm not worried about that. Let's worry about this one. As if God could care less about the other parts of your life, your job, your health, the other habits in your life, as if if they're not revolved around prayer or Bible study, that is if God doesn't care about them. Uh, there was this interesting thing that happened, particularly when I was younger. It seemed like every time Christians got together, they always ended up praying and reading the Bible. In fact, if we didn't somehow open the Bible in a small group, it somehow felt like it was an illegitimate group. And what that led to is that, again, every time Christians come, we need to have deep spiritual conversations. We need to pray. We need to break out a guitar. And I, I don't know if that was what your experience was, but that was mine growing up, as if every time Christians get together, that's all we did. We were nothing else. These were the spiritual things, and, and the other things were what other people did. Now, again, this isn't a new trap. In fact, this trap, we see it early on in the first and second century church. Now, I'm a big church history buff. I love learning about the ancient world. And around the time of Jesus, around the first century, second century, you got to remember that the church became primarily Gentile, meaning they were Roman. They were not Jewish. And they were influenced by Roman philosophers and thinkers like Aristotle, Plato, Socrates, Plutarch. Anybody familiar with those names, right? They were kind of the leading thinkers. And if you were a Roman citizen, if you were a Gentile, you were very familiar with who these people were. They influenced religion and philosophy and how you saw the world. Well, in the first and second century, there was a movement called Gnosticism. Now, Gnosticism is where we get our root of our word, knowledge. And Gnosticism taught this, okay? If you're ready for this, say, I'm ready. Okay, here we go. Gnosticism taught that the things of the flesh, meaning your body, were inherently bad. They were evil. Flesh, the things of the body, inherently bad. Ultimately evil, bad. The things of the Spirit, not the Holy Spirit like Paul talks about, but the things in the spiritual realm were inherently good. And so Gnosticism taught that as long as it was spiritual, there was a secret knowledge that if you could tap into, it would connect you to the spiritual world in a better way. So they were obsessed with this mystery knowledge of the secrets of, uh, of the spiritual world. And, and the flesh didn't matter as much because the flesh was already bad. What mattered was the spiritual. Now, let me share a story, which I, I think I've shared before on a Sunday morning. And, and it's, it's still a funny story, but it really applies to this. When I was in high school, I became a Christian going into my freshman year of high school. And my first two years of high school, my grades were atrocious. And I, this is not an exaggeration. I think my freshman year, my first semester, I had a 0.6 grade average. That's not a lie. They were, it was really bad. I, I had all Fs in 1D. And you might be like, Jason, were you skipping school? No, I wasn't skipping school. I was at every class. I felt too guilty to skip school. The problem was, is I would come home. I wouldn't do homework. I'd go play basketball, volleyball. And I was dealing with some stuff as a kid. And and then when I go to school, when it was test time, I just write my name at the top if I did that, and I just hand my paper in blank. 
said, that's right, that's how you get a point six. <laughs> I've had teachers like, Jason, usually you get a C if you just show up. Well, I was physically there, but nothing else, right? And so here's the deal. One day, my mom, after two years, I'm almost 15 years old. It's my sophomore year. I'm still failing everything miserably and not caring. And, and again, this was the 90s. Okay, so for you young kids, things are a lot different for school now than they were when I was a kid. When I was a kid, if you got bad grades, they didn't go like, oh, I wonder what's going on with Jason. It was just do better. Now they call in, you know, psychologists and counselors and they bring all this stuff in. And when I was a kid and younger than that, it was just toughen up, do better. So my mom calls my youth pastor, a guy named Tim Vincent. And Tim reaches out to me and says, hey, Jason, this is before cell phones. He had to actually call my phone. I think we had an answering machine. And, and he said, hey, I want to meet you after school one day. And so he comes and picks me up. I'm, again, all of 15 years old, my sophomore year. And I'm thinking, this is awesome. My youth pastor wants to hang out with us. I think out, out with me. I think we went to McDonald's or something like that. And, and we're sitting down and I'm, I'm just great, excited to hang out with my youth pastor. And he goes, hey, um, your mom called me. He went, nope. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> so my, your mom called me and uh, I, I think we need to talk. Is it true that you're failing most of all, all of your classes? And I said, yeah. And now how many of you have ever been in a hard conversation but you're convinced that you have the magic bullet answer that's going to make the entire conversation shift in your direction. Anybody have that? Okay. Again, 15 years old, that's every 15-year-old conversation, right? And he has this with me, and, and in my mind, I'm like, okay, Tim, you don't understand. You don't understand. I got the magic bullet. Not only are you going to applaud me for my answer, but you're going to be like, you're right, Jason. I'll have a conversation with your mom about your grades now. And so in my mind, I'm thinking everything's going to be great. And here's what I said to Tim. This is not an exaggeration. In all of the spiritual maturity that a 15-year-old, year-and-a-half-year-old Christian could come up with, this is what I said to Tim. Tim, here's the thing. God doesn't really care about high school. In fact, we both know school's not that important after all. It's a man-made structure. I'm really profound right now. My grades are bad because, well, quite frankly, God thinks it's more important that I'm reading my Bible and praying all the time, which I was not. But, and, and he saw right through that. I won't use the language because it's not appropriate from the stage, but he called me out on it nonetheless. And, and Here's the thing, in my mind, I was like, dude, I've got the most spiritual answer for why my grades are bad. God doesn't care about grades. That's a man-made worldly thing. I'm in my Bible and I'm reading and praying and I'm singing and all while I'm playing basketball and volleyball. <laughs> now, here's the thing, that prayerfully, thankfully, the Lord got a hold of me and he, he basically said this. He goes, Jason, do you want your mom to become a Christian? I said, yes. And he goes, what kind of witness are you to your mom by your bad grades? And I was like, the spiritual one? <laughs> I don't, I don't. I graduated, and, and this is also funny, when all of my friends my junior and senior year were taking two or three classes and leaving at 10, 30, 11 o'clock, I was getting to school at 5.30 in the morning and I was taking seven classes for my junior and senior year. And I graduated with a 2.9999999999999. It was like pie. It just kept on going. And I remember, here's the thing. Uh, without knowing it, I had fallen into the trap of Gnosticism. And no one ever told me that. My youth pastor never said that school didn't matter or that grades didn't matter or that 
there's a spiritual and then everything else category. Some things are caught, not taught. Would you agree with that? There are some things that have never been explicitly said to you, but that's just how you perceived, and that's kind of, there are things that are caught and not taught. And I, I want to show you some ways that this came about and, and how I got there and how I think some of us have gotten there. So again, growing up in the 90s, I became a Christian, and the Christian music scene was starting to get a little bit better. And and there were Christian bands, and if you were talking with your Christian friends and they were to say, hey, what's your favorite band? Well, if you were in the 90s, you had you know DC Talk, Audio Adrenaline, Newsboys, uh, you know, Project 86. How many of you guys know those bands, right? But if you didn't like those bands, if one of them was not your favorite, this is how you would describe it. You ready? Well, I know it's not a Christian band. It's a secular band. I like this. And, and here's what you may not realize. The word secular does not mean to get rid of God. Secularism is the belief that you don't need God in your everyday life. They're fine if you believe in God. Just, just know He exists and don't let Him influence you. And what ended up happening, because this was the message that, quite frankly, we're still taught in church, and it's revealed, it's, again, it's caught more than taught, is that things that happen in church are good, and things that happen outside of church are secular or not so good. And, and, and here's the even more, uh, the hard part that comes out is when we see this, not just in our music, but we see it in our careers and our choices. And I've had this conversation more times than I can count with Christians over the last 20 years. And in fact, some of you in this room have said this to me. Jason, my job's not nearly as important as yours as a pastor because you're doing soul work. What you do matters way more than mine because you're getting people into heaven. First of all, I'm not getting anybody into heaven. That's Jesus who does that. But they, what they usually, or, or it goes like this, well, Jason, I'm only serving in kids' ministry. It's not like I'm on the stage preaching the gospel or on the worship team. Or, Jason, I'm just standing at a door holding a tray. Or, Jason, I'm just a construction worker. I'm just a teacher. I'm not doing the, the holy work that you are. One of, my, one of my dear friends, he's a cardiothoracic nurse. This dude literally has had his hand inside of an open chest. He said this to me. He goes, I mean, my job's not that, grand, not important in the grand scheme of things. You're the one who saves lives. And I'm like, you literally save lives, bro. Where did that come from that somehow that because I'm on a stage or because I get to preach the gospel, I'm a pastor, that somehow my job is more spiritual, holy than yours? I guarantee you some of you have felt that way. In fact, I know that because, again, some of you have said it. See, what you don't realize is you actually have bought an into the lie of Gnosticism, that there's spiritual and then there's everything else. But there was an even more, uh, a, a more insidious side of Gnosticism, of Gnosticism, and I call it the nastiness of Gnosticism. And, and I want you to hear this. I'm, I'm not saying this from a place of trying to shame anybody because we've all got our garbage, Amen. We've all got those habits, those hurts, those hang-ups that we carry around that, that have are moved or patterns in the way we think that we're dealing with. Whether you're a Christian or not, Christians still have them. So I don't share this to shame anybody, but it is, it is a true thing that is happening in the church. See, the nastiness of Gnosticism ultimately led to this, that because the body is already evil, already bad, it doesn't matter what you do with it. In fact, Gnostic Christianity, which is an oxymoron, you can't be Gnostic and Christian at the same time, same time, Gnosticism actually taught that Jesus never became flesh because to do so would mean he was already corrupted. 
He just appeared human. He wasn't actually human. And so here's where this comes into, and, and I want you to hear my heart in this again because I've got my own junk I'm wrestling with. I've got my own patterns that I'm struggling with. But here is the nastiness of Gnosticism and how we see it lived out in church. And I can tell you this because I've had this conversation multiple times with people. Jason, uh, Jason, I love Jesus. And yeah, I'm sleeping with my girlfriend. I, I can't tell you how many times I've done premarital coaching and couples who in the same breath, they say, oh, I absolutely love Jesus. And yes, I'm sleeping with my girlfriend, living with my girlfriend, but it's okay because my prayer life is incredible. Or yes, Jason, uh, I, I'm a bitter and angry person and I'm constantly gossiping and causing strife and super opinionated and I'm mean to people, but it's okay because I read my Bible and I love Jesus. And again, I'm not saying that you're not a Christian if you do these things. Like I said, we've all got those areas of our life that, are, that God needs to get a hold of. But when you come in and say, well, God doesn't care about those things, or you minimize the impact of those things, what you've ultimately bought into is the lie that somehow the only thing that God cares about is are you praying, reading your Bible, and going to church? You want to know who also prayed, read their Bible, and went to church regularly? The Pharisees. And yet they were enemies of Jesus. And, and there's a difference between saying, I love Jesus and I'm struggling with purity. I'm struggling with keeping my body holy or caring about my sexuality. I love Jesus and I'm struggling with alcohol. That's a wrestle. We're all in wrestling matches with our brokenness. And, and the problem is not that you're wrestling. The problem is when you don't care anymore. Because you think that the only thing God cares about is you've made two piles. You've made the spiritual pile and the everything else pile. Are you guys tracking with me so far? It's the Christian who says, well, hey, I love Jesus and yes, I get hammered every Friday night. And I do it unapologetically. It's not even a wrestling. I'm just like, what's wrestling? Hand me another beer. And, and here's what the saddest part in this. You know, usually how when Christians are confronted with this, this is usually what they'll say, and I know it because I've said it. <laughs> Jason, judge not lest ye be judged. Isn't it funny that we always go to old King James whenever we use this verse? No one ever says, don't judge me. It's always, we've got to, like somehow King James makes it more powerful. Judge not lest ye be judged, which by the way, is not what that verse is about. Or how about this one? Oh, it's not that big of a deal. Most of the Christians I know do this. Or how about, Jason, that's just your interpretation of the text. Which, by the way, usually when people tell me that's my interpretation, I immediately want to ask, so which Bible verse am I interpreting? And they can't name it. Why? Because most of them aren't actually reading their Bibles. We use that as a deflection, a safety mechanism when we feel convicted by the Holy Spirit is to immediately put up a guard to justify our sin instead of saying, this is why we need the gospel is there are parts in my life where sometimes I want to say to God, that's trespassing, you're off limits, Lord. And the Holy Spirit's like, yeah, that's not how that works. If I'm your Lord, there's no, there's no part of your life that I'm trespassing into. In fact, you're hiding it from me. And the call for us as Christians is not, and this is one of the favorite ones that was said in the 90s and early 2000s, well, Jason, Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. Okay, that's, yes, that's a true statement, but... That's not an excuse because we have a God who wants more for you, not necessarily more from you. Now, again, I'm not saying that if you've said those things, you're not a Christian. 
What I am saying is that maybe you don't have a whole picture of the gospel. And you've done what so many Christians have done where you've taken the gospel and you've changed it to mat match something that made you feel comfortable or that was more palatable. And yet the gospel, the Jesus that we see throughout Scripture, is that God is calling His people to more. Not necessarily to do more, but to be more. God wants more for you, not just from you. See, some of us think God is, only wants something from us as if He wants to use us, but He is a loving Father who wants the best for you. And because He wants the best for you, He asks things from you. Would you give me that, Jason? Would you give me that sin? Would you give me that fear? Would you give me that insecurity? Would you give me? He wants those things from me because he wants more for me and he wants more for you. Now, here's why this matters. See, when we think that spiritual, again, defined by spiritual pile, everything else pile, when we think that the things that spiritual, we can wrongly believe that God doesn't actually care about the other aspects of our life. As if what it means to be a follower of Jesus is just that you pray, read your Bible and go to church. And this bleeds into all the other parts. And you want to know how easy it bleeds into other parts? Okay, now check this out. And I found myself repeatedly as I was talking about this message, I did this. If I were to say, let's list, take, everybody take your hand and put your hand out like this, okay? This is what we tend to do. We go, well, we have um, physical, emotional, relational, mental, financial, you can put something else, and then we'll add spiritual. And what did I just do by adding a spiritual category? I've now separated them from all the other parts. What if this is physical, emotional, mental, relational, whatever else this is, all spiritual? They're all spiritual. They all matter to the Lord because you matter to the Lord. All of you matters to the Lord. Yes, all of you, but all of you matters to God. Jesus cares about it all, not just the prayer parts. And sadly, the church has helped create this dichotomy, this separation, this dualism, because what we've done is we've, again, we've justified things by using spiritual language. Many churches and church leaders have turned a blind eye and a deaf ear to abuses, physical, emotional, financial, sexual, all for the name of King Jesus. And without going into the name of the church or the pastor, but recently a church in the Midwest, a very large church, a very well-known church, a few years ago, it was brought out that this individual pastor had been physically and sexually abusing people for years, women, for years. And in fact, when one of the staff members went to the elders of the church and said, hey, this is going on, their response was this. Do you realize all the good that this man has done for the kingdom? Think about all the damage you'll do the kingdom of God if you expose this sin. We can't expose this because you could undo our church. You could, you could cause pain and, and you could minimize all the great work that this, the work that he's done for the kingdom. That is a disgusting excuse. Because what you've just said without realizing it is that the spiritual matters more than the physical as if God's kingdom won, one pastor's sin is going to upend the kingdom of God. The gates of hell will not upend the kingdom of God, much less a pastor's sin. But you've also just told that victim that his spiritual effectiveness is greater than their pain and the sin done against them. This is why, and I want you to hear this, one of our passions as a church, as a staff, 
is we put together the executive team and we, we're really working on organizational health. Do we do it perfectly? No, because we're human being, but we're really striving that organizational health means that we are not afraid to confront sin. Megan and Derek, who are part of my executive team, I regularly, and this is almost probably ad nauseum, I regularly go to them and say, how am I doing? Is there anything, any blind spots I need to be aware of? And they've called me out on some. I don't want you to think that there's a bunch of sycophants, yes people, who just, yeah, no, Jason, you're amazing. No, they've called me out on stuff. Our staff have come to me and said, Jason, you said this and it hurt me. Why? Because we believe, I believe, that as a church, we should reflect the best part of the kingdom of God, which is the ability to not hide from sin, but to bring sin to the Lord and let God deal with it in the appropriate way through His people, through His Word, through prayer, through the Holy Spirit. We do not hide sin. Here's the other part, and I want you to think about this for a moment. If you're bringing a non-Christian to church, why would anyone want to belong to a church when they're burning out staff members? Like, think about it. There's something somewhere along the way, this lie got caught into church, that staff, that God just wants to use you, and so you burn up, you burn out staff, leaders, volunteers, because what matters more is they're doing work for the kingdom of God. Who cares if their marriages are falling apart and they're physically not doing well and emotionally they're falling apart because, man, we're, we're on a mission for Jesus. I'm sorry, if I was a non-Christian, that would not make me go, hey, I want to be a part of that. Jesus doesn't burn people out. People burn people out. Systems burn people out. So we strive to be a healthy culture. And again, I'm not saying we do it perfectly. We don't, but we're trying because we believe. And I believe that God is cleaning house in the church right now. God is exposing. Why is it that we'll allow a pastor who's arrogant and prideful and mean-spirited stay in leadership? Because man, look at how the church is growing. You don't think God cares about pride? It's funny. I would argue that pride is one of the deadliest sins out of all of them, way more than we give it credit for. In fact, it says that God opposes the proud. I believe God is cleansing the church because God cares about the character, not just the competency of a person. Amen? And that's true for you. And so what's my point in all of this? the, The point is that God cares about all of it because he cares about all of you. He cares about every aspect of your life. He cares about your body, your mind, your mental and emotional health. He cares about your finances. He cares about your relationships. All these things matter to God because all of these things are spiritual. Your job is spiritual. And if they're all spiritual and we begin to see that God wants to be all of it, here's where the mental shift, the paradigm shift can change us is now all of a sudden, if you see everything is spiritual, everything is something that God cares about. Now, if your marriage is struggling, that is a spiritual issue. And guess what? If you're going to counseling, counseling can be a holy work from the Lord. Because of all of it's spiritual, it means a solid counselor is helping you heal something that is spiritual. Even if they're not a Christian, I check this out. When I when I go to get my oil changed, let's say I go to Glenn and I go, I don't sit down and go, hey, Glenn, before you change my oil, you praying? I just want to know, I mean, you go to church somewhere, how's your regular, are you doing okay? I, think, I, I don't know if I want you to change my oil. See, there are, again, what do we do? We spiritualize, well, if he's not doing those things, but did you know that God can use non-Christians to do holy things? 
When I, if I have a brain tumor and I go to a specialist and I want the best brain surgeon, I don't necessarily want the godliest brain surgeon. That'd be nice to have both, right? Here's my point in this, is that God can use unholy people to accomplish holy things. Things that are true, things that are right, those belong to the Lord, Christian or not. And so some of us are like, well, only go to a Christian person. Now, okay, but check out what happens. If God can use an unholy person, a person who doesn't belong to Jesus to do holy things, how much more when you have a person set apart by the blood of Jesus who loves Jesus saying, God, enter into whatever it is I'm doing and use it. Now all of a sudden, your job, your marriage, your singleness. I think sometimes we treat single people like second-class citizens as if they're not married, they don't have value. Nope, some people are single and singleness is holy. So is marriage when you give it to the Lord. God cares about your singleness. God cares about your sexuality. God cares about all these things. And, and if we begin to see these things differently, the same is true for a business owner. When a business owner says, Jason, my business doesn't do anything special. I just do fill in the blank. I just make widgets. I just produce movies. I just do this. I'm just a teacher. I'm just, by that phrase, the word I'm just, you've already fallen into Gnosticism. Because you are now saying that unless you're, work involves being in the church that somehow God doesn't care about it. If you're a business owner, think about the people you employ or the people that you serve. If you're a teacher as a parent, being a teacher is a high and holy calling. I'll tell you that right now because I, I, I can't handle kids. My own kids half the time. Teachers are actually called to do it. Like praise the Lord for teachers. But here's the thing. Think about it. Teachers are caring for the mental, body, physical the soul of a child. That is spiritual work. This also means your physical health is spiritual. Do you think God cares about diabetes? Yeah. Now, there are some things that happen to us because we live in a fallen, broken world that have, are not because of a sin that you committed. But when Christians say, well, God doesn't, you know, hey, you've got a mental health issue. Don't go to a counselor. Just pray. Okay, yes, pray, but also go to a mental health professional. I started getting convicted on that. It's part of the reason why I've been working with the trainer is God was going, Jason, you speak a really good game, but you're not giving me your physical health. And next week, we're going to be talking about the body. How many of you know somebody right now who needs to hear this message? Raise your hand if you know somebody. You know what? One, pray for that person. But two, invite them to church. Speak life into them. Encourage them. The book of James says this. What good does it do if your neighbor is hungry to say, hey, I'll pray for you? If you know somebody who desperately needs to be told that God is involved in every and wants to know every part of their life, be the hands and feet of Jesus to them. And this is, again, the unintentional message. And, and I'm going to kind of, um, I, it's a weakness within our theology as Christians and as the church. And, and, and I understand there is something holy that takes place. But let's even think about when a pastor is ordained, what do we do? We hold a special ceremony, an ordination ceremony where I get hands laid on me. I got a stole put on me. I never is it stole, stole, I don't know. It's, it's the thing. And I get the thing put on and, and it's called an ordination because being a pastor is a high and holy calling. Yes, it is. And I do believe that. And I understand why the ordination took place. But let's think about the unintentional consequence of what we've just said there. The only people that God has actually ordained to something are people who step into pastoral ministry. What if we were to hold a ordination ceremony for the teachers and for the stay-at-home moms and dads or the person who owns a business? Why, why don't we commission them? Why don't we ordain them? Why is it? Because again, what have we done in the church? Spiritual things, 
unspiritual things. And, and don't get me wrong, I'm grateful for my ordination. It says something, but I'm Jason who's a pastor. I'm not Pastor Jason. My identity is not wrapped up in my calling except for the calling of being the son of God, a son of God, not the son of God, not the son of God. Let's be clear. <laughs> I can see somebody just taking that spit. He just said he's Jesus. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. What if we were to, you're a landscaper. What if we were to ordain you or call, acknowledge that there's a commissioning that God has done in your life? And that doesn't take away from the fact that being a pastor is a holy calling, but so is being a farmer. How do we take that back? And this also means that sometimes we fall into the third trap. Everybody say trap number three. If you're a Star Wars fan, I was going to have Captain Akbar up there going, it's a trap. <laughs> trap number three. You ready for this? Trap number three. We minimize the devil's effectiveness. Here, listen again what 2 Corinthians says, 11.3, but I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your mind may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Okay, here's a tip when you read the Bible. If they ever reference another character, go back and read the story of that character. How many of you are at least familiar with the story of Adam and Eve? Okay, Garden of Eden, right? God creates the Garden of Eden. He creates Adam. It's not good that man be alone. So then he creates Eve and he gave Adam and Eve a job. Their job was to live in the garden, to tend the garden, to work the garden, but also to bring culture into the world, to expand the garden. And God said, all the trees, everything in the garden is yours. And it's all good to eat. It's all pleasing to the eye. They had one command, one thing they weren't supposed to do. Do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You guys familiar with that, right? You know the story? When Satan got Eve, and, and sometimes we think Eve was alone, but that's not actually what the Bible tells us. It says that Adam was close by, so Adam actually heard it. He just didn't correct the problem. And so we give Eve a bad rap as if sin's her fault. No, sin is a human fault. It's not Eve's or Adam's. It's both their faults. Amen? Okay? But listen, here's, here's the lie. This is the number one strategy of the enemy. You guys ready for this? If you're ready, say, I'm ready. Okay, here's the number one strategy of the enemy. He's still doing it today. Genesis 3, chapter 1, four words. Did God really say? Did God really say you shouldn't eat from the tree? You can't touch the tree? Did God really say that sex outside of marriage is sin? Did God really say that we shouldn't be drunk with wine? Did God really say that sexuality matters? Did God really say that marriage is, did God, did God, did God? That is the lie the enemy does. And sadly, too many in the church have bought into this lie. And it is a scheme from the devil. And here's the problem for some of you. All the devil had to do was whisper that lie and then you just swallowed it whole. And now all of a sudden, God's word is just advice. It's outdated. It doesn't really apply to us. The, what makes the Bible timeless, what makes it the word of God is that it, the core truths of it are still true today. The heart and the message of Scripture. And, and here's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11, 4, for if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the Holy Spirit you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with those too easily. What does it mean to preach a different gospel? Well, here's how, unfortunately, some of us have begun to preach the gospel. For some, the different gospel is you don't need Jesus to be saved. Just be a good person. All, all religions lead to heaven. That's not true, by the way. It's also very offensive to other religions. If you go to a Muslim and say, hey, by the way, what you believe and what I believe are basically the same. A Muslim will go, no, they're not. Go to a Buddhist. A Buddhist will say the same thing. Same thing with a Hindu. Other people will say that, well, yeah, you're saved by Jesus, but it's not through faith or through grace. It's through the church or it's through this. Nope. 
we believe that you are saved by faith through grace, or are by grace through faith in Christ alone. But it's also a gospel, and here's the one that sadly has become really popular in America today, is it's a gospel that preaches Jesus only wants part of you. That the only thing that matters is you do your prayer pile, you do your spiritual things, and Jesus doesn't want the rest. That's also a false gospel. What if one of Satan's greatest schemes is getting the Christian to believe that how you treat your body your mind and emotions, your relationships, your finances, your job are somehow less important to God as long as your prayer life, scripture reading, and your church life are in order. That is, it, it goes squarely against the gospel. This is a lie, and we know this because at one point, it was very popular for the Pharisees and teachers of the law would get together and they'd meet rabbis. And rabbis were, there were lots of different rabbis and they had different schools of thought. And one of the things they would do is they would regularly ask a rabbi... Hey, how would you sum up all of God's laws, the Ten Commandments, the Torah? How would you sum that all up? This was a very common question. It wasn't new to Jesus. And when a teacher, an expert in the law, came to Jesus in Mark 12, and I've shared this, gospel, this message many times, this, this verse, because it's critical. They asked Jesus, how would you... How would you sum up the law? Now, what they were really trying to do was trap Jesus. They were either trying to get him to speak against God's law or to speak against Rome. Either way, that would get Jesus in trouble. And Jesus was really wise and knew exactly what he's doing. And he says, okay, well, I'll tell you, the law is summed up in this. And he first quotes from Deuteronomy 6, what's called the Shema. And then he quotes, quotes from Leviticus 19. And he says this, the law can be summed up as this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And love your neighbor as you love yourself. I don't know about you, but that sure sounds like God wants us to love him with all of our being, not just parts of it. And because God cares about it all, what does this have to do with the gifts of his word, his spirit, his people, and his voice? See, if the only thing you think the purpose of those gifts that he gave you, his word, his spirit, his people, and his voice, is if that's what it means to be spiritual, you've already missed the point. Those things are God's gift to help the rest of you become like Christ. If you're looking and you're, maybe your body, maybe you're, there, you're not taking care of your body, you pray, God, reveal to me, show me how I'm not taking care of myself. Maybe you need God's word to remind you if there are parts of your mental being that are not on track, God's word, God's spirit, God's people, you need accountability. You need people in your life who will speak truth over you and love on you. We need to be in it together because it's way easier to do it together, isn't it? But those are gifts. Those are not the goal. They are the gifts to help us become who God wants you and I to be in Jesus. They are there to help you wholly become who God wants you to be. See, the gospel is not you must become like Jesus so you can be saved. The gospel is this. Because of your faith in Jesus, you are already saved and now you are free to become like Jesus who saved you. There is freedom in the gospel because we're all in process, which leads to this last part, and I'm gonna invite the worship team back up, okay? I wanna paint a picture for you, okay? Imagine for a moment you're, you've got a kid and you want your kid to learn piano, right? And so you sit down and you go to, your, you go to a piano teacher and the piano teacher says, hey, I just wanna let you know, I take piano very seriously. And so we're gonna start off with Beethoven. What? Yep, here's the keys, Go. 
That kid's not going to enjoy playing piano. First of all, what do you do? No, you sit down, you say, you have black keys, you have white keys, you have sharps, you have flats. Then you go through the scale. You have C, D, E, F, G, A, B, C. And, and, and you, why? Because you can't handle all of that. Or how about, how about baseball? I'm teaching my son or my daughter how to play catch. And I'm like, okay, we're going to get in the deep end real fast. Here comes the heater. My kid doesn't even know how to catch a ball yet. That's the most unloving thing in the world. Here's why I say this, because this is the trap number four. We have discouraging expectations. Some of us think that because we're a Christian, we should all be at tens. When in reality, um, let's say there's a dial. If you're new in faith, if you're a zero, getting to a one is worthy of celebration. Amen? And if you're a two and you get to a 2.5 this week, woo! Satan wants to discourage you and going, you're nothing like Jesus. You should just give up. We have to have, Jesus knows you're not perfect. He celebrates the wins. Here's where the problem comes in. If some of you have been raised in the church, have been Christians your entire life, and it's one thing when a new believer who doesn't know Jesus is at a zero or a one or a two, and maybe they go back to a one, and then they go to a three, and then they go back to a one, right? They're drinking spiritual milk. The problem is when you've been a Christian your entire life, and you're not moving forward at all. In fact, you just think you've arrived or worse yet, you think it doesn't matter. Paul actually said, stop drinking milk, eat some meat, grow up. God wants us to become like Jesus. There is a high and holy calling, physical, emotional, relational, mental. All of it is spiritual. And we all have those areas of immaturity. And God wants us to mature in Christ. You're never going to be a 10. Jesus was the only 10. So get that level. Get that out of there. But if you're a 2, your desire is, Jesus, help me to become a 3. If you think you're a 10, then let the Lord humble you and bring you back down to 1. <laughs> right? We need to have holy expectations of God to move in us, but we have to surrender and really believe that God wants us to become like Him in all that we are, not just our prayer life, but with our bodies, with our, our minds, our emotional health, our relational health, that all these things matter to God. We're going to close with this last song. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to invite you to pray. And, and if you're daring, if you're brave... I want to invite you to pray this simple prayer. Lord, reveal. Lord, reveal. Ask God to show you where in your whole being are there areas where you've been hiding from God saying, no, you're not welcome there. And God's saying, I want all of you, not just part of you. Where do you need to grow? Where do you need to mature? Where do you need to become holy, holy? Now, here's the best part, and this is what I love about this song. The closer you get to Jesus, everybody thinks that Jesus is safe. Jesus isn't safe. But the closer you get to Jesus, the more you experience the love of God, the more you realize that God loves you where you are, but loves you enough not to keep you there. And the closer you get to Jesus, the more you realize you are dependent on Jesus. You cannot do this apart from Jesus. That means you can't do it apart from his word, his spirit, his people, and his presence. You become hungry and thirsty for what God has. And so would you stand with me? And as we sing this last song, let this not just be a song, let it be a prayer. Ask right now. Let's take a moment. 
ask if you're brave. If you don't do it, if you're not, if you're like, Jason, I don't want the Lord to explore this. But if you're brave, if you're willing to step in, would you just simply to the Lord right now say, Holy Spirit, reveal.